This morning we're just continuing with a, a series of um, taking the Bible and bringing it to life, life's issues and the things uh, that we face today and, and, and looking in the Bible to see what it has to say to those issues. And today we're, we're aiming it at the issue of self-worth and the question, am I worth anything? Um, we live in a, a culture that's, that's turned its back on God, uh, but by doing that, the, our culture has turned its back on its purpose as well. And so it's, it's not really a surprise that this bit is becoming a more and more of an issue in, in our culture. There's people wondering what their real worth is. And uh, I was watching uh, the Horizon program uh, called Stopping Male Suicide, which went out a couple of weeks ago. Did anybody watch that? Just me then. <laughs> it's still on the playback if you want to watch it. It's a, a sobering program, but you know, very helpful and very uh, insightful. And, and in your little sheets inside your bulletin, I've, I've just recorded a few notes uh, from that program. Three quarters of suicides in the UK are, are men. And that's not because more men try to kill themselves. It's just that when men try to kill themselves, they tend to choose a more lethal method and therefore are, are, are often more successful. Someone in the UK takes their own life every 90 minutes. And so the 90 minutes that we are here uh, today together, someone in our, our country will have taken their life. Worldwide, someone takes their own life every 40 seconds. On that program, survivors talked about a voice in their head telling them that they're worthless and they might as well kill themselves. And that's often what drives people to take that decision. They also talked about the importance of just crying out for someone to help and challenge them and ask them if they're thinking about taking their life or just asking them, if they can help, often they say that that would be enough to stop them. One of the health professionals emphasized this, the power of a single conversation with someone can change their life and save their life. And so if you're here today and you're feeling suicidal, then please talk to someone. Uh, talk to your GP as well, and uh, the website zerosuicidealliance.com was set up by a father whose son uh, killed himself and at his son's funeral he vowed to do everything he could to prevent people taking their lives. There's lots of good advice on there, and if you know someone who is struggling, uh, please reach out to them and make contact and get alongside them. So what does the Bible say about this? What, what does the Bible have to say about our worth as human beings? Well, from start to finish, the message of the Bible is that God knows you, God loves you, and he wants to enter into a conversation with you. This message that God knows us calls out to us from every page of this book in the laments in the songs and prayers, we've been singing about them this morning, about how God loves us. Prophecies, stories, 
and letters. This is a library of evidence that God loves us and cares about us uh, and wants us to live full lives. And so inside this little pamphlet is just a sample of the biblical evidence that your life is more precious to God than you could ever imagine. And the Lord says to you today, here I am, let's talk. So let's look at some of these uh, passages together. I just love it when the prayer room affirms the message. It's just great, isn't it, Phil? And uh, every, every week when I'm up here, I now leave space in my notes for prayer room comments because I know that they'll come and that you know, they need to be uh, responded to. And so Lamentations 3 is our fast, first passage, which was uh, someone took to the prayer room uh, this morning. So let me read these words to you. Now, Lamentations 3, 19 to 24. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. I'm going to stick around and wait for God, however long it takes. The book of Lamentations was written, uh, recorded by Jeremiah after the fall of Jerusalem to Babylon. It was a catastrophe uh, for the, the Israeli people. And in the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah records five poems of sorrow, outpourings of grief. And if you've ever read the book, uh, it's sometimes hard going and sometimes very raw. Uh, and sometimes we wonder, should that really be in our Bibles? And should someone be saying those things to God? But that's exactly why it should be in the Bible, because it is raw human emotion. And God wants us to express that to him. And so when we feel deserted by God, we have in the book of Lamentations a response written down for us for when we have no words for us to have a way of expressing to God uh, our despair and uh, the fact that our souls are downcast, depressed within us. When I read it, uh, my mind goes uh, to today, to the, the nation of Syria, uh, which is, has been absolutely devastated by war. war. War that's got nothing to do with their people that's just happening on their land. And if, when we look at our television screens, it's been eight or nine years now that that war's been going on. And the land is just a pile of rubble. This is what Lamentations reminds me of today. Is there any hope in a situation like this? Well, the writer of Lamentations says that all that is left here is hope. And the book's been called A Gospel of Survival. And I think that's a great description of what we have here. It's a gospel of hanging on for grim death or grim life. 
You see, God doesn't always fix everything. It was great to hear the one-minute testimonies this morning, how God is at work. Uh, but sometimes God works in different ways too. Sometimes he doesn't fix the outward stuff in our lives, our circumstances. Sometimes he chooses to fix what's within us and he uses what's around us to help us mature and grow as Christians. Because if always he just answered our prayers and they just gave us exactly what we wanted, we would never learn the, the, the things that we need to learn by going through difficult times. However they ha- hard they are for us. God uses these circumstances. He doesn't bring them on us. He uses, those, uses them to transform us from the inside out. And so, just looking closely at the text here, he says, I call to mind. I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. What he's doing here is a deliberate remembering, an intentional remembering. It's not just something that pops into his head from when something good happened. He's intentionally thinking about when God has helped him previously. He calls to mind. It's a deliberate remembering. And so that helps him cope in a difficult circumstance because he remembers what God has done for him previously and how that's helped him or her. And what he remembers is this steadfast love. It's recorded differently in different translations, this Hebrew word hest. Uh, a loving kindness is another way it's described uh, in, in the, the Bible, in translations of the Bible, an abounding grace. I love the phrase, though, steadfast love, because it says something strong and secure and steady to me. When all else around is changing and when we can't make sense of what's going on in our lives and we are surrounded by difficulties, God is there with his steadfast love, which is never going to fail and never going to change. That gives us hope, does it not? And because of that, we're not consumed. The things that would take our life from us or or fill us with despair do not consume us because we have God in our lives. He is there showing us compassion. God's compassion never fails. His mercies never come to an end. And so the, the writer can say, I'm going to give thanks for every new morning that I'm given. And what a great way that is to help us live our lives in the midst of difficulty. God's compassion never fails. They are new every morning. So every morning when we wake up and get out of our beds, there is something to thank God for. A new day which he has given to us to exist and live uh, and have our being in him. Whatever our circumstances, God is with us every new day. And so we can enter into that day in company with the Lord. He's there by our sides. And therefore that is enough for us to stick around and keep going and to see what God's going to do. Often, as a pastor, that's been my only strategy, 
when all things are going on around me and I don't understand them, I always say to God, well, I'm going to stick around because I want to see how you're going to fix this. (laughs) Uh, And that's a good attitude to have. Whatever our job is, I'm going to stick around and see what God does. We're going to get a front row seat and the miracles of God. All we have to do is hang about for a little while. So that brings us on to the song or the prayer. This wonderful um, psalm in Psalm 139. Sadly, we don't have time to go through it all. That would take several hours. But I've just chosen a little excerpt from Psalm 139, which we can focus on today. It's a song for the person who has gone into hiding. And I'm sure we all feel like doing that at different times in our lives. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there too. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. A little typo there at the end. I've put the S in the wrong place. Um, But I'm sure you get the meaning. It's a beautiful psalm. And it's a psalm for uh, people, uh, for when it seems like sometimes God's presence with us is just too much. And we just can't stand it. Here's what um, Eugene Peterson says uh, about the psalm, which I think is very helpful. The central item in the religious life isn't my knowledge of God, but his knowledge of me. Not my faltering search for God, but his search for me. God's aggressive search for us and his exhaustive knowledge of us have resulted in an existence in which there is no place we can go where God is absent. We can take the Bible out of the hotel room, take prayer from the schoolroom, take the Ten Commandments out of the courtroom, and we haven't diminished his presence in any of those places. We can take his name off our coins and he is no less a present reality than before. We can deny him, we can curse him, we can ignore him, and he is still intimately acquainted with all our ways, still tenderly holding us in his love, still faithfully extending his mercy to us and still generously offering us his grace. I miss Eugene Peterson. (laughs) I miss that he's not writing anymore, but I'm pleased for him that he's with uh, the Lord. Sometimes God's presence is just too much for us. And it's it's okay for us to admit that. David admitted it by writing 
Psalm 139. Uh, earlier in the psalm, he says, such knowledge about you, God, is just too wonderful uh, for me. It's almost like saying, I'm terrified of the fact that you know so much about me. You know, you knew me in my mother's womb. You knitted me together. I can't go anywhere that you're not there already. It's too wonderful for me. Jonah. What about Jonah? I love Jonah. A great sympathy for Jonah, uh, the guy that ran away from God. And eventually when God persuaded him to go to Nineveh and and tell them, warn them what was coming, uh, and God saved them wonderfully, Jonah took the huff. Isn't that great? He took the huff and he went off and sat under a, a tree, a little plant that God provided for him. And he cared more about this little plant than the 120,000 people uh, in Nineveh. He took the huff, but God pursued him, didn't he? And said, you know, don't, don't you care about all these people, Jonah? I wanted to save them. Good old Jonah. And then there's Peter, you know, fishing all night, hasn't caught uh, a sardine. And uh, then Jesus comes along, you know, he's not a fisherman, he's a carpenter, and says, oh, why don't you try fishing over there? <laughs> and you can just uh, feel Peter's, you know, the steam coming out of his ears. You know, I, I know how to fish, Lord. And of course they catch this miraculous catch of fish. And what does Peter say to Jesus? Leave me. Leave me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I can't stand your holiness. It's too much for me. Go away from me. Of course, Jesus doesn't. And, uh, you know, every time Peter messes up, the Lord pursues him because he loves him. And he won't leave him alone. When I became a pastor... That's about, um, that's 18 years ago, uh, last month. And one of my fears was, you know, did I ever get a day off from being a Christian? You know? <laughs> when I was a simple banker, you know, I could, you know, go off to work and hide, <laughs> supposedly. Uh, but when I became a pastor, I thought, well, you know, the pressure's on now. You know, Lord, when do I, you know, get some time out for myself? That was just bad theology, wasn't it? Because God loves to be with us and we never need to be afraid of God hanging out with us. And, and, you know, over the years, my day off has become uh, the closest day I have uh, with the Lord because, you know, I'm not trying to do anything for him. I'm not trying to keep a church running. Uh, I'm just, it's just me and him on the golf course or, or in the cafe, drinking coffee, whatever. And, I, you know, that's a wonderful thing that Jesus, our Lord, by his Spirit, wants to spend time with us. And so God refuses to leave us when we go into hiding because he knows we need him beside us in the darkness to hold our hand, to shine his light, to help us see the next step ahead. In that program, the Horizon program about male uh, suicide, there was a guy, uh, an American guy, who was, was sharing his attempt at taking his life and the voice that kept telling him. And, and he just decided that this day that he had to do it. Uh, and he, he went up to the Golden Gate Bridge and he, he let go. 
And as soon as he let go, he knew he'd made a mistake. Uh, when he hit the water, he broke his back and sank. Uh, but something in him said that, you know, I, I want to live. And he managed to get back to the surface and the Coast Guard came along and, and hauled him out of the water and said to him, son, why did you do that? And he said, I don't know. I don't know why I did that. He had a long operation and recovered. And now he travels the world uh, talking to people, particularly men, and encouraging them to open up about what's going on in their heads and the voices they hear that tell them to do bad things to themselves. He didn't say he was a Christian or anything, but it just struck me, you know, this Coast Guard going after him and pulling him out of the water. That's a beautiful picture of what the Lord does for us. He, he pursues us even when we want to do ourselves harm. God is on our case and he pursues us and he comes after us. Then there's the prophecies in the Bible. And here we have a prophecy for someone whose life is almost snuffed out. Their candle's flickering and it's about uh, to go out in the dark. Isaiah 42 uh, verses 1 to 3. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Isaiah is an amazing prophecy. It's overwhelming. Uh, there's over, I think it's six, I think there's 66 chapters uh, in Isaiah. It's been described as a salvation symphony. It's a beautiful description. And in it we've got judgment, God warning his people uh, about going in the wrong direction and the consequences that that will have for them. Uh, comfort after it's happened where God's uh, gathering them in and, and comforting them. And hope, hope for the future. And constantly pointing forward to a Messiah, someone who's going to come and rescue and save God's people, which we now know was his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The promise of a saviour. And that's what God continues to promise to us that he will be for us in every circumstance, not just once in a lifetime, but to go on saving us day after day, week after week. He is and always will be the saviour, even when we get to heaven. Jesus will still be the saviour. And so that word from the, the prayer room is just perfect uh, for this passage that um, there's, there's people here today, in fact all of us, that God calls by name. God is calling us by name because he wants us to know that he knows who we are and he loves us. And sometimes it feels like our lives are close to being snuffed out. We're broken and we can't fix ourselves. We just don't have the means to do it. But thankfully what we learn here is that there is a person who does know how to fix us and who can reach out to us and save us. Even if we are this broken reed or we feel like this uh, smoldering 
work. Jesus can bring us back to life. And he's continually doing that today. He's done that for many of us here. Uh, and I'm just going to invite uh, Malcolm uh, to come now. Malcolm uh, has, has written a prayer which I think expresses what we're talking about here. He wrote it in a response to a sermon Steve gave, gave at one of our, um, I, I think it was the week of prayer and fasting in January, a message on the mustard seed. So I'm just going to invite Malcolm to come and lead us in prayer. Thanks, Malcolm. Lord Jesus, you have planted me here in North Allerton, in new life, in a new life. What and who you are making of me, I await through the power of your Holy Spirit. You have rested me, showed me the presence of your Spirit, both in me and around me. You have surrounded me with your love through those you have placed around me, through prayer, through worship, and through revealing your word. You have enabled me to put roots down in fertile soil. You have brought me new strengths as I began to grow. You are moving me into pastures anew. I go where you lead me, and I am humbled by the sight of your presence in where I have come from and along my journey with you. Great are you, Lord. Great is your provision. Even greater is knowing that you walk before us, behind us, and alongside. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, living Holy Spirit. Praise be to your name. Amen. Thank you, Malcolm. It's a wonderful prayer. We've printed copies, in case you want one, for sticking in your Bible. They're out there on the round table in the foyer. It's also on the Friday email, which was sent out on Friday. <laughs> and great theology, uh, Malcolm. Lovely theology. Great are you, Lord. Great is your provision. Even greater is knowing that you walk before us, behind us, and alongside. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, living Holy Spirit. You should be up here more often. <laughs> and then there's the stories. Especially when we get into the Gospels, the stories that Jesus uh, tells as parables. So here's a story for the person who feels a long way off. For those of us who just feel miles, miles from God. And it's a story, well, there's three stories, one after the other. The story of the lost coin, the story of the lost sheep, and then this story, the story of the prodigal son, a young man, um, youngest in the family, who he wants his inheritance up front, and he asks his dad for it, uh, which is not the done thing. Uh, in that culture. It's not really the done thing today either. 
but his father loves him and gives him it, and he, he goes off in, uh, to a faraway land and wastes it. Uh, and then he feels a long way off and decides to head back and seek a job as a servant with his father's servants. Then it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That little picture from the prayer room of the circus ring and someone in isolation. This is what this story is about. It's God calling us out of our isolation back into the community of his family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Christ's body, the church. God is always calling on us. He's always looking out for us, even when we've gone off on our own and turned our back on him. You know, I, I, I love the Lord Jesus. He was always getting into trouble for hanging out with the wrong types. Well, thank God for that, eh? Because otherwise half of us wouldn't be here uh, today. And, uh, you know, when Jesus was uh, accused of that, he was like, duh, of course, that's why I'm here. I've come to gather in people who are miles from God. What else did you think I was doing? And I just want to say uh, to people today, do, do you know that God's love for you is outrageous? It is absolutely outrageous. It's an outrageous love. In that culture, uh, the father would never have done that. Lost his dignity and run after the son who'd uh, humiliated him. But this father doesn't care because he loves his son so much because his, out, his love for that son was absolutely outrageous. And, and so the son starts his prepared speech. He's maybe got it in a little paper or something like that. And the father's like, spare me the speech, son. I, I just don't need to hear it. You're home. Let's celebrate. Brought with me my mobile phone. Ordinary mobile phone. Uh, it's a Huawei, a Huawei. I can't say that word. Alternatively known as a Chinese spying device. <laughs> but I quite like that because I type up my sermon notes on here. <laughs> so I like to think I'm preaching to the Chinese government. <laughs> Although I'm sure they're not that. They're probably not that interested. So, um, yeah, if, if this was Glasgow, it'd be called a Huey. <laughs> Much easier to say. But one of the things this device does, which I, I've never asked it to do, is to let me know when I've walked 10,000 steps. It's like, I don't care. <laughs> how many steps? And I, I'm not that tech savvy, so I don't know how to switch it off. So, you know, once a week or something like that, when I actually walk 10,000 steps, 
it, it lets me know. <laughs> anyway, what's the point? It doesn't matter how many steps you take. All it takes is one step in the right direction. And that's what that young man did. He turned around, and as soon as he took a step back towards his father, his father was off and running, ready to welcome him. It's not how much steps we take. It's where we are aiming ourselves in life. And God calls us to take ourselves back out of isolation and head back towards home where his family is. All it takes is one step in the right direction. And if you've gone to a faraway place to get a break from God, then today God's calling you back out of your isolation to come back towards him and be embraced by him and welcome back into the family, not as a servant, but as a son or a daughter. And so, book of Revelation, we have this uh, wonderful, in fact, the whole, let, the whole book is a letter uh, from Jesus, not just the first few chapters. I love the fact that Jesus uh, dictates a letter to the church from heaven. Uh, and that's what we find in the book of Revelation. It's a letter from God, uh, God's only son, telling us that he loves us. Uh, and that he still wants to reach out to us. And in uh, Revelation 3, uh, in his letter to the church in Laodicea, he says, You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put in your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. And they with me. It's amazing how the, these letters to seven churches in, in Turkey from 2,000 years ago are still bang up to the day relevant for the church around the world today. So Jesus uh, says to the church, you are materially rich but spiritually bankrupt. Don't sit in the fence, Jesus and he doesn't. And he challenges us about where our priorities lie. You know, we, we dwell in a consumer culture. A culture uh, fixated on acquiring wealth and, and possessions. And but that has forgotten that that's not the most important thing in life. And it's temporary anyway. We've been asking the question today, am I worth anything? And the Bible's answer to that, Jesus' answer to that from heaven is yes, you are. But it has nothing to do with how much you have in life and everything to do with who you have in life. 
And Jesus stands at the, the door of our lives and is knocking and he wants in. He won't force his way in. We need to invite him in. But when we do, he brings his life with him for us to dwell in his life. And he comes to dwell in our life too. We enter into communion with the Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which was always God's intention for us in the first place. It was us that shut the door, not him. And he has come to give us an opportunity to invite him back into our lives, to make our lives a spiritual home in which we can dwell together, eating together, he with us and us with him. And so when Jesus uh, finished his time with his disciples, he instigated this simple meal of bread and wine, which we call communion, church calls the Eucharist, giving thanks. It's, it's a simple meal where we pray together with the Lord Jesus, giving thanks for what he has done. His body broken for us on the cross, his blood shed for us on the cross so that we may enter into communion again with God our Father and God the Son. This is what Jesus offers to us today. Am I worth anything? Your life is priceless because God your Father gave his only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that you might get to know God your Father again, that you might be gathered back into his family, eternally in communion with him. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that each week we discover that it is living, it's active, it's relevant, and it has stuff to say to us about who we are. And we thank you, Father, that you've made us in your image and that you value us beyond what we can comprehend. We don't understand how you were willing to give the life of your son for us we didn't deserve that. We don't deserve that. But Lord, we are so grateful that you have done that. And so we thank you. We thank you for the life that you've given us. And we bring it to you together as your people this morning. Not in isolation, but together as brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God. And as we gather as a family with the little ones, eh, right through the ages together in a moment, Lord. We pray, Holy Spirit, you'll be with us. And just in the silence, Father, I pray you'll do business with each person here about how they're feeling towards you and where they are in their lives with you. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Hear our prayers for help. Lord, we come out of our hiding. Thank you that you're a safe place for us. Thank you that you reach out to us in our despair and rescue us. Rescue people today, Lord, by your grace, by your mercy. 
fan into flame your life in our lives, Lord. Bring us back to life, back to you. And for those of us who feel a long way off, we pray you'll bless us and draw us back to you. And for those of us who are feeling lost, we pray that you will gather us back into your home. Thank you for your people that you've placed us amongst here. Thank you for the children. Thank you for the people around us. Lord, bless us as we share this simple meal together, remembering, calling to mind your salvation, your love for us. In Christ's name, amen.